Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Good morning to you. Welcome to Bible Center. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's an honor to open God's Word with you this morning. How many of you slipped on a bridge coming over today? Man, I was getting off the interstate at Oakwood coming up, you know, that ramp around Woo, slid. I thought I was going into the wall. It was not good. So um, a little scary. Uh, but then it was funny. We were, we were driving on uh, the corridor coming out here, and the big digital sign is there, you know, that says, be careful, bridges freeze before the roads. And Alice and my daughter was sitting next to me. She goes, well, that's a little late. <laughs> So thank you for venturing out this morning uh, among all of the stuff. Uh, We appreciate you being here with us today. This is an exciting day. Um, There's a lot today. We have 26 baptisms this morning. Can we say praise the Lord for that? 26 baptisms. And so there'll be be six in this service and 20 at 11 o'clock. And we've got adults and students and kids, and it's just going to be a fantastic morning. And so my job is to get us to those moments. And so I'm going to do my best to move us along and get us to those moments. We are also today, we are beginning our second series of the year that deals with God's glorious church. So we're doing three series this year from Ephesians chapter four. And this fall, we did our first one that talked about how the church is called to be united. United, if you remember that, back in September and October and early November, November, we were working through the beginning of Ephesians chapter four and this call to unity and how we are to value unity. Just like we value so many other things, that unity is on the heart of Jesus and was literally on his heart as he was preparing to go to the cross. And so we looked at the beginning of Ephesians chapter four and this call to unity. And now we're gonna move into the, to the middle of Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna look at now, as we're unified as a body of Christ, as a body of believers, how are we equipped to participate in what God is doing in the world? And so over the next few weeks, we're gonna journey through the middle of Ephesians chapter four. I'm gonna look at how we're equipped, how we're each uniquely a part of what God calls the church, this people group that he's put together under the banner of Jesus. So my job today is to introduce where we're going over the next few weeks, to introduce where we're going over the next few weeks. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, we're gonna bounce around a little bit today. So we're gonna start in Genesis chapter one. And so if you wanna open up your Bible or or turn on your phone and go to Genesis chapter one, that's where we're gonna start. And we're basically gonna move through a few passages in scripture that lay a foundation for how we are uniquely designed to participate in what God is doing in the world. And so we're gonna arrive at that toward the end of the morning, and then we're gonna launch into that over the next few weeks. But we're gonna start in Genesis chapter one. How many of you have ever heard of a doppelganger? Have you ever heard of that? You know, it's like this this likeness or, or image or person that you may have a resemblance to. If you're on social media at all, you may have scrolled through and you've, you've seen someone put up somebody that, that, you know, they look like this person, typically a celebrity of some sort. When I was a kid, um, my nickname, I think in about sixth, seventh, eighth grade, my nickname was Doogie. 
Anybody remember Doogie Hauser, the show Doogie Hauser? So that dated me right there. But literally, when you put our pictures up together, like it was like the same person. And so my nickname was Doogie. I had this, this likeness, this resemblance to Doogie Hauser, MD. He was a kid who was a doctor, which I don't know about that. But he was a kid in Hollywood, it all works, right? What we're gonna look at in Genesis chapter one is how we were actually created in the image or the likeness of God. So open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 26, verse 26. And this is the account, obviously in chapter one, of the creation of the universe. And toward the end of chapter one, the author of Genesis gets to the place where now God is creating people. So he's created everything else, and now he gets to the place where he's creating people. So verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. It's a reference immediately in Genesis chapter one to the Trinity. And we know from the rest of scripture that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were also present and participating in the creation of the world and the creation of humanity. And so that's what we see here. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them, and so man here, now we understand when we see and let them refers to male and female, both. It's referring already to male and female. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So there's a few words that stick out as you're reading through this section of scripture. Back in verse 26, there's two words, and if you underline in your Bible, if you circle in your Bible or highlight or star or whatever it is, if you're on version and you highlight different verses, these are good ones to, to make note of. The word image and likeness. The word image and likeness are key words when we think about how we were created. We were made in God's Likeness, and the first thing is that we bear his image. We bear his image, and this is what that means. This is what it means to be made in the likeness or the image of God. It means that we share imperfectly, but we share in God's nature. That is in his communicable attributes. So there are two parts of God, his communicable attributes and his incommunicable attributes. The things that we share in are communicable. Here's some examples. Life, personality, truth, wisdom, love, morality, justice. When you think about humans, those are things that we share in. But those originated from God. Those are things that are true about God. God has life, just like we do. And so we share in this image of God, this likeness of God where we have life, we are alive. We have personality. 
different personalities all across the room. That's from God. We bear in the image of God. He has personality. He is able to see truth, is the definition of truth. And we are able to discern truth, right from wrong. We, we have a capacity to have wisdom. We have a capacity to love. We can know morality. We can seek justice. All of these things are how we bear the image of God. They are true of God and they are true of us. We're made in his likeness in those ways. There's a belief out there that, that after the fall, that the image bearing that we carry, the image of God, went away. But in Genesis chapter 9, it's actually confirmed again, after the fall, that we bear the image of God. You bear the image of God. He's your creator. He's your maker. He's your sustainer. He's the giver of life. And so there's inherent value to every human being because they were made by God and they bear his image. There's value just in being a person. And that informs a lot of things. Because if that's true, that changes the way that I treat people, that I behave around people, that I care about people, that I have compassion for people. Because every single human being bears the image of God and therefore has value, inherent value, because they bear the image of God. The second thing is that we were formed on purpose. Not only do we bear his image, but there was purpose behind our creating. There was purpose behind him making us. There was design. There was care behind him making us. To do that, to understand that, we're gonna go to Psalm chapter 139. Flip over just a couple pages, or more than a couple. Psalm 139. And these are popular verses, but I want us to look at them this morning through the, those eyes. When we're thinking about this, this creation, this care, this, this forming that's taking place as God is creating people. So starting in verse 13, the psalmist says, for you created my inmost being. Look for words that talk to you about that. God is creating or he's making what are those words that stick out to you? For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We cannot avoid the fact that God is still creating 
all human life. When you read that passage, you see that God is intimately involved in creating humans, even now. It's not something that he did one time back in the day and then he wound it up and said, go for it. But he's intricately involved. Words like knit together and woven and and care and design are found here. There's a masterpiece idea. There's a purpose idea. There's something, there's something designed behind this making of humans, this making of people. He is still creating today. It's not like he was a creator and then he put that down and never did that again. No, he is creator. He is creator. And so he continues to create. And so every person who bears the image of God has also been designed by God. And the interesting thing here is that the value of that person doesn't come from themselves. It doesn't come from what I bring to the table. It doesn't come from my talent or how I look or what I'm skilled at. It it doesn't come from that. It comes from the creator himself. The value is bestowed on the creation by the creator. And so I'm made in the image of God. It's not because I did anything. It's because he did that. And so my value is based on him, not me. I was designed on purpose by this creator. So the value comes from him, not me. I was trying to figure out a way to illustrate that. And the best thing I could come up with was this really cool frame I have in my office. This is a napkin. Big deal, a napkin. This is a napkin that has a letter from my six-year-old daughter, Allison. And it says, I love you, daddy. This is a napkin with a love letter. I love, I love, I love, I love. Why is this valuable? It's not because it's on a napkin and those are amazing, right? It's not even because of the penmanship or the spelling right? No, it's valuable because of who made it. It's valuable because of who made it. Why do I have this in a frame in my office? A long time later, I can't add that quick. It's because it's valuable. It's because of who made it. And the same is true of you and me and all humanity. We're not valuable because we're on a napkin. We're valuable because of the creator behind us. And so your value doesn't rest on you. It doesn't rest on what you can do. It doesn't rest on what you can bring to the table. You're valuable because God says you are. And because God took care in making you. 
God put you together on purpose, the way you are. There's so much value in every human because God is the author of that. So how do we then deal with things that are hard? Things that we may look at in life and we would call that brokenness. We would call that maybe a mistake in some way. How do we put that together with the fact that that the psalmist tells us that God put us together on purpose? He made us, he knit us together. How do we come to this place where we then find mistakes? John chapter nine, flip over a few more pages. John chapter nine. You know, when we read the words of Jesus, he tends to pull us to eternal perspective relatively quickly. The disciples were much like us and they had many questions like us and they would ask those questions as they were walking along and they were having conversation with Jesus. And and Jesus would typically respond with an answer that drew their attention away from the moment, away from the, the present day, away from the thing they were so concerned about. And he would shift their eyes to the eternal perspective. He'd say, you're totally missing it. You need to think about it from up here, not from here. And in John chapter nine, that's one of the things that happens here. At the very beginning, starting in verse one. As he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a blind man, saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, this is a question that we may ask. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? You see, there was this belief that if there was something wrong with a person, if there was something different with a person, something that they struggle with, something that we would define as brokenness, if there was something like that present in the life of a person, then there must have been something that they did to deserve that. There must have been something that their parents did to deserve that. And so the question that the disciples asked Jesus is, who sinned? Who sinned that this man was born blind? How did we miss this? How did this mistake happen? How did this take place? And Jesus answered, verse three, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What does Jesus do? He removes our focus from ourself and he moves it back to the creator. He removes our focus from ourself 
and he moves it back to the creator. And he says, there is a sovereign God. There is a creator God. There is a designer God who does things on purpose. And when he does those things, it's so that the works of God might be displayed through us. And so he designs us on purpose. Even something that we would say is brokenness, God uses for his glory. He uses for his glory. And it's a gift to us. And our perspective is to see it as as brokenness and wrong and mistake. And God is saying, no, you're missing it. When you think about it in light of eternity, it's for the glory of God. It's about him. We have an incredible ministry, a Bible center, called a special needs ministry, and we started this a few years ago. We have an awesome room downstairs called The Lodge. A lot of our friends who are affected by special needs join us on Sundays. We have a, a part of our school now that is able to minister to families affected by special needs, and one of those families just near and dear to our family's heart, and that's Lynn and Owen. Lynn and Owen. Owen has autism. And that's one of the labels we use in our society to understand something that we don't understand. And so we put a word on it that helps us understand. In John chapter nine, it was blind. In our world, autism. Autism. You know, autism is a, broad range of conditions. It's a spectrum. And it's characterized by challenges with social skills, repetitive behaviors, speech, and nonverbal communication. For those of you that are affected by autism in some way, it's one in 44 kids in the United States that are affected by autism. You know some of the struggle that can come along with that. And Lynn, Owen's mom, she blogs. It's one of the ways that she gets through. You might have things like that in your life where you have ways that you get through. One of the ways she gets through is she blogs every day. And she took that blog and she turned it into a book. And it's 365 days of autism. It's fantastic. So many ways. But it's literally just the story of Lynn and Owen, over a year. And it helps you start to see what goes on. But it also helps you start to see the humanity in it all. Let me read to you one of those days. This is September 21st, 2017. She calls it flat out tired Thursday. Maybe you've had one of those too. Every night I put Owen in bed. I hope that it's the night he will sleep through the night. It happens, but not much. The exercises we do before he goes to bed have helped him go to sleep much easier. Staying asleep is a different story. I'm not sure how many sides of a coin you can have, but there are at least two sides and many more. With autism, there's the medication side and other methods such as supplements and oils, and some use both. There are probably more methods that I don't know about too. Every person reacts differently to different forms of treatment. 
It can take years to find the right methods and what works. This is one more daunting thing for parents to have to learn about and deal with. My approach with Owen was taking him off gluten and dairy and giving him supplements like probiotics and enzymes. This works for us. I saw a huge difference within a few days. The science shows there's a huge gut and brain connection and this was enough for me to try it. There's much more to autism, but for me, that was the easiest place to start. I tried a drug in the very beginning for, for sleep. I saw no difference. In fact, I thought it made it worse. We tried oils and never found the right combination that soothed him either. When you factor in that there are numerous combinations of, of drugs or supplements, the doctor's opinions and facts, the research versus the tried and true, parent-approved methods, all of this becomes daunting. The suggestions, the process, and the what to do next stage is overwhelming. All we want is help. Our questions answered. And most of us need some sleep. My son is my world. He is the precious gift that was given to me when I didn't think I would have kids. And for this, I am grateful. He's taught me more than I can ever imagine and inspires me every day. Life is not always this simple journey, but a brilliant picture painted over time. Live every day to the fullest. The answers you want may not be the easiest to find, but keep searching. Never give up. Every day I see progress. That's what this is all about. Make today matter. Smiles to all in donut days. Owen and Lynn are gifts to us from God. They're gifts to us from God. The works of God are displayed in them. just like they are you. There's a design behind you. There's a design behind this body. There's a design behind us. May we always be known as a church who values life. All life. Because it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a gift from our creator. And it was made and designed by him. Quickly, I wanna show you that there's one central decision in life that shapes our core identity. So there's the image part of our life where we bear the likeness of God. And we were made and we were designed on purpose. But there's also an identity part of our life. An identity part of our life. This is a cultural definition of the word identity. Multiple types of identity come together within an individual and can be broken down into the following. Cultural identity, professional identity, ethnic and national identity, religious identity, gender identity, and disability identity. In our country, two more have been jockeying for a seat at the table as well. Political identity and sexual identity have become part of our national discourse. The gospel goes so much deeper than those surface things. It goes to our core. 
the very central part of who we are, the way that God has made us, my response to Jesus is the only decision that transforms my core identity. From this decision springs everything else. Colossians chapter one, go to Colossians chapter one. That's where we're gonna finish up. Colossians chapter one, verse 21. So Paul has just described Jesus in magnificent words, magnificent terms. He's talked to us about who he is and what he has done. And now he comes to the part of chapter one where he's talking about what Jesus can do in our lives as people regarding our identity. And he says this, verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Your identity, your core identity is made up only and solely of what you have done with Jesus. You are either with Jesus or you are not. That is the core part of our being. We are made in the image of God, but now there's a decision that must come. What am I gonna do with Jesus? And Paul describes the two statuses, the two states, the two identities that are true. The first one, he says, you are alienated from God. You are enemies and you are evil. That's the status of a person without Christ. Depraved, that's our default position. We bear the image of God, but we are born with a sin nature. And so we arrive into this world needing a savior, needing Jesus, and so this decision, this decision of whether to receive Christ or not is the only decision we can make that will transform our core identity. It's the only decision. From it springs everything else. Everything else comes from this singular decision. He says, you were alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds. You, had, you were evil. But now, when you receive Christ as your savior, when you ask Christ to, to come and save you from your sins, but now you are reconciled. You are holy. You are free from accusation." Your identity is justified in the eyes of God. You were made right. Positionally, when you stand in front of God, he sees you as holy because of Christ. Just like we do not get our value by what we bring to the table as image bearers of God, we get it from the creator. We do not get our salvation from what we bring to the table. We get it from our Savior. And he is the only one who can transform our core identity. And when that happens, the rest of us 
starts to align with who Jesus is and what he says. And we live in willing submission to his word because we want that, because we see how much he has loved us. And so we want to love him back by following after him. This morning, you're gonna see some people who have decided to follow Jesus as their savior and as their Lord. And they wanna proclaim to the world that my core identity has gone from sinner to saint. My core identity has gone from I'm, I'm depraved, I have this sinful nature, it's gone from that to saved, holy, without accusation, blameless in the eyes of God, dependent totally on Christ. Baptism here at Bible Center is a symbol it's an outward symbol of an inward decision. It doesn't save you. We don't believe that the water is, is special in any way and has saving power. It's a proclamation that I'm with Jesus. It's screaming, he's my Lord. And so we participate in baptism around here. And so you're gonna hear the pastor, as they get ready to baptize, they're gonna ask you to, to put your hands up. And so all across the room, we'll put our hands up. And then together, as a church, as a community, as a body of believers who also are following after Jesus, we're gonna say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're gonna celebrate like mad because we know heaven's having a party. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.